This week was uh, the opening week, including the opening day for Major League Baseball. And so we're very happy about that. This week, the league uh, released a hype video kind of sort of thing. And it, it was kind of like a press conference with a lot of the faces of baseball. And so they're at the table, and all the press is asking them questions. And so they're answering the normal dumb answers about how they're going to be. Then they start to break out into... Well, we're going to win this many games. We're going to win it all. We're going to, you know, and I'm going to have this many stats, and I'm going to do this great, you know. And so they, now the players are arguing with each other. It's kind of funny. And it gets out of hand, and then eventually the, 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 the press says, you know, hey, wait, 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 wait a second. Ask Mike Trout. There's Mike Trout. Ask him, what does he say? And the camera goes to Mike Trout, and he says, just let the kids play. That's their thing. Uh, just let the kids play. And, and I thought to myself, immediately I thought to myself, Mike Trout just inked a contract for $400 million, and he says just let the kids play? That's not fair. That ain't right. I'm, in my head, I'm picturing Mike Trout's agent jumping out there saying, whoa, hold on a second before you say just let the What he says is not legally binding. It's not part of the contract negotiations. Just let the kids play will not be a part of our... You've got to be crazy. That ain't fair. Just let the kids play. From early age, we learn to cry out, that's not fair. That's not fair. This morning, maybe some of you noticed about 6.40, I posted a picture of what my car looked like this morning. I said, not fair. I don't know exactly what about it isn't fair, but that's what I wanted to say. Not fair. Some of you saw what I did with that, by the way, because of today's message being when life's not fair. When we're little, we cry out, not fair. When we're small, our problems are small. Then we get bigger, and our problems, or at least the problems that we see, become a little bit bigger. We see bigger inequities, bigger injustices. And it bothers us. We do cry out, not fair, because it isn't fair. We see people out there playing fast and loose with the rules and with money and big corporations with hundreds, thousands of jobs and people's careers and income and and security on the line. They're just playing games. And then when things collapse, you know, they don't seem to suffer for it. It's like you do. That's not fair. Government, of course, plays fast and loose with money. It doesn't matter what side. Okay, they play so such games with, with money, with the future, with security. They But when things go wrong, they don't, you know, the Officials don't seem to suffer for it. We do. It's not fair. And that's what we want to cry out. You know, it gets a little bit closer. And you, just, and you realize you're trying to do what's right. You're trying to be that hero of the faith in your school or in your workplace, in your family. And uh, you're, you, you know what's supposed to come from trying to live with integrity. You're supposed to earn respect and influence with people. You know, you're trying to be like Daniel. He did everything right and... And he gained all this influence. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, he put his life on the line. But he, he grew with respect and influence in, in Babylon. But instead of respect and influence, you're just getting ridicule. You're getting ignored. It's not fair. People who behave worse than you are being rewarded better than you. Life's not fair. And so we want to see the mighty fall. We want to see those people when it isn't fair. We want to see them, them fall. It makes us a little bit bitter, a little bit spiteful. I know we don't want to admit that. We do want to see the mighty fall. You know, we say that's not true, you know, and all that. But 
TV news, TV ratings, online click rates confirm for us that given the option, we say we want good news, we want positive stories, but our behavior confirms that given the option between good and the bad, we we go to the negative stories. We want to see the negative stories, and especially when people with unfair advantage get brought down. That's what we want to see because life's not fair, because we have this bitterness and the spite that grows in us. We want to see people brought down. That's just the human condition. But then, when it's you personally, when, when someone has actually taken advantage of, of you personally, if they're doing better, if they're happier, and they're gloating about it because of something that happened to you, because of something that they did to you, or because of their mis- your misfortune. Something bad, you're suffering, and because of that, someone else is living it up, and they're gloating about it. That, that's not just the human condition. That's not just general. That brings out a special level, a deeper, stronger level of internalized anger and spite and bitterness. It eats us up inside. They got the job that was supposed to be yours. But the company knew that you were too valuable where you were, so they left you there. That other guy was useless where he was, and so they promoted him. That was what job was supposed to be. You. They got the, the guy or the girl that was your interest. That's what you wanted to go after them. They stabbed you in the back to get what they wanted. You thought they were friends, but they went behind your back. And now they are where you want to be. They are doing what you want to be doing. And they are with the people that you want to be with. And you're looking up at them. And they're looking back at you, grinning. Because they know. You both know. Something bad happened to you. They took advantage of it. It looks like they're winning. And they're gloating about it. And it kills you inside. And you want blood over that. You want them to get theirs. They got where they are because of bad, wrong behavior. And it's killing you inside. That's not right. That's not fair. That's one of the feelings in Lamentations chapter 4. Joe read that for us. Thank you very much. That helps us get primed for what is to come. That kind of bitterness and spite is what we'll see. There, the prophet, probably Jeremiah, he's consumed by how everyone in his home city, Jerusalem, has been brought low. The city is destroyed by the Babylonian Empire. The temple's fallen. If you, if you look back at those verses, you, you, you see people who, you know, his people, they, they lived well. Not anymore. You know, the, the respected city officials, they get no respect. The children, no food. The, the, the people of that city, the great city, they lived in luxury. Now they search the streets, dry and dirty. Priests, prophets, Outcasts, treated like lepers. The king, captured, captured by the empire. And so they look up, and who do they see looking back at them? No, they don't see the Babylonians who conquered. They don't, they don't see them. They look up, and, and who do they see looking back at them? They see the Edomites. 
Yeah, the Edomites. That was a nearby neighbor nation of theirs. They seemingly were outliving, outlasting the, the, the nation of Judah. So they're their neighbors, and they're looking down at Judah, and they're grinning. They're gloating because they made it while the Jerusalem didn't. And so the prophet, with, with the guidance of the Holy Spirit, and with a head full of knowledge of God's promises— and with a heart full of understanding that this isn't fair, that life's not fair, he writes Lamentations, and he gets to the end of chapter 4, and in verses 21 and 22, he writes these words, Rejoice and be glad, O daughter of Edom, you who dwell in the land of Uz, but to you also the cup shall pass. You shall become drunk and strip yourself bare. He looks back at his own people. The punishment of your iniquity, O daughter of Zion. That's Jerusalem. The punishment is, is accomplished. He'll keep you in exile no longer. But back to Edom. Your iniquity, O daughter of Edom. He will punish. He will uncover your sins. It's venomous. It's spiteful. When you get to this point in Lamentations 4, you're supposed to read this and see he's looking up dry, dirty, parched, sweating, angry, beaten down, destroyed. He sees his neighbor country gloating in their suffering. He says, just you wait. He says, laugh it up, Edom. Just you wait. You're going to get yours. You're going to get what's coming to you. That's what's recorded for us in Lamentations 4, 21 and 22. Just you wait. Laugh it up. You're going to get yours. Is that meant to be the pattern for how we today relate to the world around us? You may be saying, yep, sounds good to me. I kind of like that. But we know that, you know, there's more to the story than that, especially in the book of Lamentations, which we've been going through in these weeks. You know the story's not really about Edom. They're named, but God's worried it's not really about them. And the application's not really about them. The story never ends with raw emotions, but sometimes it starts there. So let's look there. Let's look at dealing with an unfair life. So first, get right to the heart. Acknowledge your bitterness. It's not fair. It wasn't fair. We're suffering. I'm suffering. Something bad happened to me. Someone else benefits from it. That's not right. Acknowledge your bitterness. Look deep into your heart. Their joy is not fair. Jerusalem was suffering. Why on earth would that bring joy to the Edomites? It shouldn't, but, and yet it did. So he says, rejoice and be glad. In verse 21, he says that, and that's a bit of a, that's a, bit of a warning, you know, rejoice. He's kind of saying, rejoice while you can, because it's coming at you next. He's kind of saying that, but it's also an acknowledgement when he says, you know, rejoice and be glad. He's saying they are. Yeah, keep it up. Keep up this rejoicing and, and, and gladness. He says it's, a, it's, a, it's this warning and it's this acknowledgement. They were rejoicing in Jerusalem's fall. And we see that happening all the time throughout history. There's a German word, schadenfreude. Schadenfreude. We've adopted it into English. And it just is a re- reference to the joy that someone feels at someone else's misfortune. 
Internet searches are very interesting. I'll leave that to you. How can that be? And it's like, what, what did I do to you? You know, somebody, you know, somebody, you know, somebody falls down and everyone kind of laughs at them. Like, what, what did I do to you? Why would you laugh when I fall down? You know, when the right thing to expect, you know, when something bad happens to you, the right thing to expect is a little bit of sympathy from others, but instead what you get is this laughing and pointing and giggling that something bad happened to you. Ha ha, stinks to be you. What's your reaction to that? Obviously, if it's trivial, if the trouble is just something that's silly and temporal and it's not a real big deal and we just look silly, we might laugh at ourselves when something, and everyone's laughing. And that's, but when, the, when, it's, when it's real suffering, when something really bad, when, when the suffering is real, painful, sustained, and you get this joy coming back from other people, like, yeah, that's, that's great. I'm really enjoying watching your suffering. That brings out the worst in us. We lash out at that kind of thing. We, we see that joy coming at our suffering, and, 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 and we react with the worst of our emotions. Can you relate to what I'm saying? Because I, 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 mean, I, I think you can, but I think you can also start to feel uncomfortable with me with how easily and how quickly these ugly, distasteful feelings can come upon us. You know, inappropriate joy from other people brings out bitterness, you know, in us. Their joy is unfair. It was in ancient Jerusalem as it is so often today. Their joy was unfair and their actions were unfair. If we go back to the Edomites, they lived basically south of the Dead Sea, and they sided with Babylon while their leader Nebuchadnezzar was conquering the area. You can see the, the, the big circle, that's kind of where Edom was. The little one is where Jerusalem was, and Babylon was way, way over here you know, to, the, to, the, to the right. Jerusalem sided with Egypt. Edom sided with Babylon. Babylon won. Okay, so, so Edom... They sided with the Babylonians. They, but the thing is, the Edomites were descendants of Israel's brother, or Jacob's brother, Esau. And so this was a particular betrayal, because they were kind of like distant relatives. And so that you know, particular betrayal of the Edomites, after the conquest, the Edomites, they swooped in like scavengers, and they took over parts of the Judah territory, the land and the property of, uh, of the people of Israel there. And uh, so they're living it up. They're taking advantage. They're happy that Jerusalem has fallen. So that explains some of their joy, but... That's hard to take because the Israelites understood. The people in Judah and their capital, Jerusalem, they understood. Yeah, but those Edomites, they're worse than us. Like, we get it. Maybe we've done some things wrong, but we're not like them. How come they're prospering? How come they're getting advantage? That's not right. That's not fair. Wait, you took that job? You lied about your numbers. Wait, you got a better grade than me? You cheated. I know. Wait, you got together with those people? You said bad things about them to me. Sometimes people get ahead in life by doing bad things, by doing the wrong things. 
We don't feel good about it. It's not fair. So acknowledge that bitterness. Look into the heart and at least acknowledge it before God. This isn't right. It's not fair. They're laughing it up, and I hate it. Acknowledge your bitterness. God, let this happen. Could God have stopped it? Yes, he didn't. Life's not fair because God's not fair. That's what we have to acknowledge, that our heart is saying, and we can even say it to God, that's not fair, God, you're not fair. And then, from acknowledging that, we admit our spite. See, you know, there's more. Because bitterness is that inside feeling, it eats us up. It's one of the dangers and the hazards of bitterness. It eats us up from the inside out. And of course, it's never enough. We would never be satisfied with bitterness. We, 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 We want to see something happen it's not just bitter feelings. There's a spite that goes along with it. You want to see the bad things happen to them. Not just, hey, that's unfair, but I want to see them brought down. They did the wrong thing. I want to see them suffer. I want to see them humiliated. They deserve it. They deserve it more than me. I mean, I might deserve it a little bit, but they really deserve it. And I want to see it. Admit your spite. Look again at parts of these verses from verses 21 and 22. He says, but, 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 you all, but to you also the cup shall pass. You shall become drunk and strip yourself bare. But your iniquity, O daughter of Edom, you will punish. You will uncover your sins. It's spiteful. He wants to see it. This bad stuff's going to happen to you next. You're next, and I'm glad about that. It's the feeling that we're getting from this lament. Are you getting uncomfortable with me? Okay, this, this kind of spite that's coming out from one of God's spokespeople. Now understand, for the sake of the big picture, okay, this, this, these angry words directed toward Edom, it's not, just, it's not just anger, bitter, spite coming out. It, it actually is in line with what God has said about the nation of Edom. Bad things are prophesied for you. He's not just saying, I want this. He's not, it's just not wishful thinking, like I want bad things to happen. God said bad things were going to happen to Edom. In Ezekiel 25, the Lord says, I'll, I'll stretch out my hand against Edom and cut off from it man and beast, make it desolate. Uh, they shall fall by the sword. I'll lay my vengeance upon Edom by the hand of my people Israel. And they shall do in Edom according to my anger and according to my wrath. They shall know my vengeance. Obadiah 10 also has some words to, to look at. Really, the whole short book of Obadiah is a prophecy against uh, the people of, of Edom because of the way that they betrayed Judah when they were suffering and being destroyed. Yeah, God's prophets did see disaster coming from Edom. And so when we look at Lamentations 4, 20, 21, 22, we, we see an agreement with the rest of God's word that destruction was going to come, suffering was going to come to Eden. But here, in these verses, it's not just, woe unto you, Edom, bad things are going to happen. This is in the moment. This, this is, you know, the prophet Jeremiah is suffering. He's angry. He's spiteful. It's in the moment. It's, 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 it's hurt. It's hurting. It's angry. It's bitter. It's spiteful. 
It's not just saying, yes, you're going to get what's coming to you. He's saying, you're going to get what's coming to you, and I want to be there to see it. That's the feeling that's deep down coming out from him. Now, will you admit it, that you've felt that way sometimes? Sure you have. We've all felt that way sometimes. Something bad is going to happen to you, and I'm going to laugh. We've got to think about that for a little bit. What does that spite really want to see? What is that, that bitterness directed at other people? What does it really want to see? Is it the Lord's justice that we want? Is it, is it, is it everything to be fair? Is that, is that what we're looking for? What does your spite really want to see? In Lamentations 4, this, the spitefulness of the prophet wants to see the, the, the suffering and the, and the destruction that they've experienced turned and multiplied against Edom. We want to see you cut off, your people destroyed. We want to see you suffer, killed, pain. And furthermore, we want it to be humiliating and full of shame. Verse says, you shall become drunk and strip yourself bare. In a culture like ours that glorifies self-imposed drunkenness and nudity, it bears reinforcing the idea from God's word that those things are shameful. It's not the way it is meant to be. It is wrong. We should be ashamed and humiliated when those things happen. Please understand what, I, what God's word is saying. God's word doesn't say that food and drink that God has provided is shameful. It doesn't say that. And it doesn't say that your body is, is shameful, that you should be ashamed of that. It never says that. But this, this out-of-control, staggering, public self-exposure, out-of-control, that, that's wrong. That's shameful. That's humiliating. That's what the prophet wants to see of his neighbor, Edom. And so he says, to you also the cup shall pass. You know what that means? You also, the cup shall pass. It's a desire to see the wrath of God aimed at someone that you don't like. That's what the cup is. It's the cup of God's wrath. Jeremiah 25. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, take from my hand this cup of the wine of wrath and make all the nations whom I send to you drink it. They shall drink and stagger and be crazed because of the sword that I am sending among them. In in Lamentations 4, he's saying, the cup is going to you. I want to see it handed off to you because I'm aiming it at you. I want to hold in my hand all the wrath of God and aim it at the people I hate. That's what our spite is. That's what we want. You say, whoa, hang on, whoa, hang on. I never wanted that. I, I don't really want that. I mean, I want, people to, I, I want people to get theirs. I want people to get what's coming. I don't, I don't want that. Yes, you do. Every time we, we, we demand justice, every time, every time we demand fairness, that people get what's coming to them, we, we're demanding to see other people, worse people than us, suffer the wrath of God. 
Because deep down, we understand, we know that if they don't suffer worse than us, then life's not fair because God's not fair. We'd like to see God's wrath pointed at people. I mean, not, not us. Not, I mean, not, not my people, not the, not the people I like. But yes, it, 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 we want to see the cup aimed at particular people. In our spite, bitter anger, we love to take credit for our own goodness and then judge other people's badness. We'd like to take the cup of God's wrath and pass it right along because we know who should get it. Let me help you out, God. I've got some ideas. Let's bring all of your wrath and give it to this person or give it to those people or give it to this religion or give it to that leader. They need it. They deserve it. And if we all had the chance to take the cup of God's wrath and point it at who we'd like, what would be left of the earth? And so before we get the chance to eradicate mankind from the face of the earth, God did pass the cup. God did take the cup of his wrath, and he did hand it off. And you're saying, goody, let's see. Now, is this going to be fair? Finally, can I hear about people getting what they deserve? Is this fair? You tell me if this is fair. It's from Luke chapter 22. And he withdrew from them. This is Jesus. It's the night he was betrayed and arrested. It's after the supper, the Passover meal. It's after that last supper, but before his arrest uh, and, and trials. And he's in the garden praying, and he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. I see it. I know what it is. I know it is all your wrath aimed at all of mankind for evil and wickedness of all time. And it's coming at me. Jesus says to the Father, if it's possible. Father, this is wrath that no human can take. It will be the destruction of body and spirit. If you're willing, he says, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. There appeared to him an angel from heaven strengthening him and being in agony. He prayed more earnestly and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Jesus Christ took the cup of God's wrath and he did not pass it. He did not aim it at another. He drank it all. Every drop. Why should this be? Why should Jesus Christ, the only sinless man of all time, be the one to take the wrath of God? Is there another way? There's no other way. 
Just thinking about it was agony for him. It's not fair. Jesus Christ doesn't deserve it. If anyone deserves to point the cup, it's Jesus Christ. He took it all. He drank every drop. It was emptied on his own person. It's the only way. If Jesus did not drink it down, we would. We would have to take it all on ourselves. We would have to. The night that he was arrested, that night, the trial, the next day, the crucifixion, for us, for you and me. We've cheated. We've lied. We've betrayed. We've taken advantage of others. We've stolen. And when we didn't do those things, we were bitter and spiteful about those who did. The cup of God's wrath was aimed at us. It was aimed at you. Jesus intercepted it. He got between you and God. He took it. He took it all. He drank the whole cup of God's wrath. And when you think, life's not fair because God's not fair, you're right. Because Jesus drained the cup of God's wrath. There's nothing left for those who stand behind Jesus Christ and his work on the cross for you and me. There's nothing left for us. So is it Wrong to feel bitterness and spite like in Lamentations chapter 4. Should we repent of those feelings? Maybe. Is it wrong to express those feelings to God? Jeremiah did it. Sometimes these feelings just come upon us because they're feelings. They're just feelings. We can express them to God. But it is our choice, whether we harbor those feelings and give them a home in our hearts. See, this is our choice. If you dwell on what Jesus did for you, you cannot dwell on what others do to you. Your heart is full of one or the other. That's our choice. We fill our hearts with what Jesus did for us or with what others do to us. It's one or the other. So dwell on what Jesus did for you. Understand, you know, like Edom of old, those people who never believe God, who never submit to him in faith, they will be eternally punished. Separated from God. That's a, that's a warning that remains for all time. But for those of us who trust not in ourselves, not in our own works, not in our own righteousness, but in Jesus' death, resurrection for us. The cup of wrath is empty. There's nothing left for us. There's nothing left for us except to anticipate your blessing. Now, our story is different than ancient Israel's story and how they related to God and the nations around them. It's different than how God's people today in this age relate to him, but the principle remains. For ancient Jerusalem and for us today, the principle remains, your trouble has meaning. Your trouble has purpose. Ancient Jerusalem had evil that needed to be purged from the city. They had people of faith who needed to be strengthened, who needed to be disciplined, strengthened in their faith. Lamentations 4.22, it says, the punishment of your iniquity, O daughter of Zion, is accomplished. He will 
keep you in exile no longer. There's, a, there's, a, there's a, an idea of hope there. Because actually they were going to be exiled for quite a while longer. It was just beginning. But the worst was past. Now God was going to get to his work of restoring the, the, the true believers in him. For those who believe your trouble has meaning and it will not last forever, but just long enough. God is still there with you. The night Jesus was betrayed and arrested, he prayed about the cup of God's wrath, which he took for us and drained it. But that same night, a little earlier at the supper, there was a different cup. It was the cup of blessing. It might have been actually the cup of blessing from the Passover uh, celebration, uh, but whatever point in the Passover meal it was, Jesus took the cup and he said, this cup represents the new covenant in my blood. Now we're talking about something entirely different from the cup of God's wrath. This cup represents the new covenant in my blood. The new covenant is a promise that God made to his people of forgiveness and intimacy, close relationship with God. He made that promise to his people Israel and then applied it to the rest of the world for people who could not achieve forgiveness, people who could not earn close relationship with God by our own works and righteousness. He took that cup, not the cup of wrath, the cup of blessing. He took that cup and he passed it to his disciples. Drink this, he said. He passed it to his disciples and he passes it to us today. You think life's not fair because God's not fair? Drink deep from the cup of blessing. It's not fair either. We didn't earn that. Jesus passes it to us. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 says, when we celebrate communion, which we will do in a few moments, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We look back to the Lord's death on the cross and we look forward until he comes and he makes everything right. He's the one who decides how to bless and how to punish. He'll take care of that. And we look to both when we celebrate communion together. We look back to what he did for us. We look ahead to the reconciliation that he will bring. And that, that it's all on Jesus and his work, that brings our self-examination. Do you want to aim God's wrath at people? I get it. I understand. The prophets of old understood that. God understands that. But you have to put that cup away. You have to put that cup down. Don't forget, that cup should be aimed at you too. And me. Jesus emptied it. 
Maybe you're thinking, I'm not really bitter and spiteful towards any individuals. It's just life circumstances. I'm just about to be a little bit bitter at God. Or maybe you kind of feel or sense that that's coming in your life because of the overwhelming circumstances. It's not people. It's just the things that are going on. I'm just angry at God right now. Your trouble has meaning. It won't last forever. Just long enough. God's still there. Today, Jesus offers the cup of blessing, forgiveness, intimacy with God. And it's filled, filled to overflowing because of the shed blood on the cross. Will you drink deeply from the cup of blessing today? I'm going to pray. The deacons can come forward uh, now and and as I pray and just take a seat when they get up. And and we're going to respond together to God's word by celebrating the Lord's Supper together. Father, we're moving into a communion service, but it's not a different service. We're taking your word and applying it and responding to it together in this time. And so, Father, I pray for those who've never made Jesus Christ their Savior, that if there's those here today who hear, who look in as as if from outside and, and just don't get it, feel like they have to earn everything themselves, pay for everything themselves, make other people pay for things themselves, never accepted the work of Jesus Christ. Let today be the day. If that's you here today, talk to us. We'd love nothing more than to talk to you about the gospel of Jesus Christ. For us as believers who gather around the table today, Father, we ask that we would do so with a genuine heart that is at least honest before you with our feelings and ready to give those to you and take the cup of blessing offered from Jesus Christ. In his name we pray, amen.